0: Uh, Welcome to Cincy Reformed Podcast. I'm Pastor Brandon, and I'm here with Pastor Zach. We're pastors at Westside Reformed Church, a URC congregation in the west side of uh, Cincinnati. And today we want to talk about the Reformation and the, the Reformed tradition and is the Reformed tradition just five points? And, you know, we, we were, uh, it's common for people to say, well, I go to a Reformed church, but maybe it's more Baptistic, or, you know, I go to a Reformed church, but maybe uh, there's differences here. And so we kind of want to talk about is Reformed just uh, like a mere five points? Uh, what is it? But before we get there, maybe Zach, you can help kind of. Set up the picture. Where where did the reform come from, and uh, what is you know what was the distinctive identity that was being formed? Yeah, well, the reform tradition really emerged in the time of the
1: Reformation. But there's something to be noted there that I think a lot of people might miss. That when Luther began to discover the the purity of the gospel that had been um, lost during much of the Middle Ages. Uh, he began to uncover something alongside of Zwingli and these reformers who were engaging with the Greek text for the first time, really, as um, Erasmus of Rotterdam put out a Greek text to, be, to allow uh, ministers to begin to read the, uh, the New Testament in Greek rather than relying only upon Latin. that this recovery began, uh, came, uh, this recovery occurred across the uh, continent of Europe. And those who began to discover and recover the purity of the gospel, and especially of justification uh, by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone, that these people began to be not called at the earliest uh, in the earliest years. They were not called Lutherans or like a uh, reform, but they were just simply evangelicals. They were the gospel uh, people, and um, they they could be call, called at times slanderously Lutherans because they were followers of Luther in this way. But really what they were doing was they were just simply Catholic Christians. When I say Catholic here, I don't mean Roman Catholic, but lowercase c Catholic Christians who were engaging with the biblical text, reading for the, the church fathers, especially men like John Chrysostom. And they were recognizing how much of the biblical teaching had been obscured by the Roman Catholic mass. And they were recovering the beliefs and practices of the ancient church and so for the first couple of decades of the reformation we did not have different branches really of um, protestant christianity but over the course of some time there came to be uh, they came to realize that there were some differences in the way that some were formulating the doctrine of the lord's supper and others were formulating uh, the same thing and and that is what then uh, the lord's supper doctrine and some of the views of Christ and Christology, the two natures of Christ, then that led to a d- distinction within um, Protestant Christianity between the Lutheran branch and then the Reformed branch, broadly speaking. Reforms could include in this way, think about Presbyterians, those who are Reformed from the continent of Europe, and also Anglicans held this same view of uh, the Lord's Supper and of Christology in that way. And so then you had a a distinction within uh, the Protestant world, and you had then a Lutheran tradition and then a Reformed tradition that had a a few different uh, manifestations there. Within the uh, United Kingdom, you had of course, the Church of England, which is under the uh, King of England at the time, and the... um, the Archbishop of Canterbury providing leadership there. You had the uh, Presbyterians that emerged in, up in Scotland. And then on the continent of Europe, you had uh, various branches of the Reformed Church who were writing confessions for themselves also. And so, in other words, a way to think about this is that there were two broad um, buckets. There's the Lutheran movement that was really following Luther and his version of the Lord's Supper. And then there was the, the uh, reformed um, wing that uh, could include the Anglicans, the Presbyterians, and then what we call reformed nowadays. Each of these had their own languages that they were operating in, their own uh, native tongues. Each of them were writing different confessions for their own, uh, their own regional context. And then from that is where you begin to see the distinct um, theological identities emerging from those uh, confessional um, uh, creedal uh, contexts as they were writing confessions in french or in dutch or in english for their um, for their parishioners for their their congregations and so it's really out of that where we begin to think about the emergence of a uh, reformed tradition and then probably one more thing that might be helpful to note here as in 1618, 1619, you really begin to see explicitly this international flavor of Reformed and Calvinist, another word to use often for this, Christianity, as what was called the Synod of Dort. Not Senate, but Synod, S-Y-N-O-D. It was an international synod that convened and gathered in the Netherlands to engage with a controversy that was afflicting the churches not just out of the netherlands but was beginning to creep up in other places as well but church representatives from across europe into the united kingdom as well uh, came and gathered and convened there representing different countries of germany uh, switzerland uh, even some italians were there some from the united kingdom even from scotland the french tried to get there but then they were threatened that if they crossed the border and went, that they would not be allowed back in. So they thought it might not be too wise to go to that synod in the Netherlands. Point being, though, that it was very international. I think Germany was there, too. I don't know if I mentioned Germany. But um, all these different Reformed contexts, including the Church of England, uh, represented at the uh, Synod of Dort. But that that just demonstrates that this ecumenicity that goes beyond one simple uh, country and one language that the Reformed churches were beyond uh, beyond just the Netherlands or something along those lines. But so, Brandon, why are we even talking about this? Why, why was I given this background? What, how might the word Reformed be used in our day? And maybe we can then talk a little bit about that.
0: Yeah, so typically in, in, our, in our day, it's common for somebody to kind of equate the five points of Calvinism with uh, Reformed. And so if somebody believes in the five points of Calvinism, then they would say, well, I am reformed or my church is reformed. The five points of Calvinism, uh, the way that they're spoken about today, uh, is usually with the acronym TULIP. And so it stands for total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, and perseverance of the saints. Um, Total depravity uh, quite basically means that um, Because of the fall, we are dead in sin. We cannot save ourselves. Um, uh, We need to be miraculously regenerated and, and given faith and given repentance because we are dead in sin. Sin has infected all of us, our minds, our wills, our emotions. Um, Now, there's usually that that distinction made between utter depravity and total depravity. You know, we're not maxed out sinful, but yet all of us um, is infected by sin. We cannot save ourselves. We are unable to come to God apart from the Holy Spirit and God's grace. Um, Unconditional election means that God chose um, some people to be saved, to show mercy to, to some, and um, not, not others, and it was unconditional. It, it means that there was no condition that we met in order for God to choose us. God did not look down the tunnel of time to see who would choose Him and love Him and be good or whatever, uh, because we were, again, totally depraved. If God looked down the tunnel of time, He would see a bunch of totally depraved people uh, dead in sin. And so unconditional election is that um, it was based upon God's uh, um, good pleasure, um, based upon God himself, and he chose some for salvation, choosing to show mercy to some, and then leaving others for justice. Limited atonement means that Jesus came and effectually bought those that the Father chose. Um, So Jesus did not um, die and then stand on the sideline to be a bare possibility, but he actually died to secure the salvation of those whom were given to him by the Father. Uh, if the Father wrote your name in the book of life before the, the foundation of the world, then Jesus came and secured your foundation. It was effectual. It wasn't um, a just kind of a bare possibility that might not have saved anybody, but it was, a no, Jesus coming down, grabbing you and saying, I, I, I bought you. Um, if your name is in the book of life, um, irresistible grace then is means that the Holy Spirit um, applies that. Um, the Holy Spirit uh, comes into uh, you, and um, you have a new heart, and you have um, you are a new person in Christ. You're a new creation, or you're given uh, the gifts of, of faith and repentance, and you cannot. Resist that now you do resist obviously. I mean you're, you're dead in sin until the Holy Spirit comes in and says um, uh, Christ died. It's almost like Lazarus right when Jesus uh, went into the tomb and said Lazarus get up He didn't say well. No, I, I want to stay dead uh, he, he got up. He, he woke up. He was uh, obviously excited to be alive um, much like irres- irresistible grace. Um, and then the last one, perseverance of the saints, means that once you are in Christ and you are born again, justified, adopted, sanctified, um, that the Holy Spirit secures you, that you, you stay in Christ. You don't leave the faith. You don't um, apostatize. Uh, and so those five points of Calvinism uh, are sometimes equated with reformed, uh, the reformed faith. And so, Zach, do you want to talk a little bit about um, where the five points came from? Yeah, Uh, sure,
1: absolutely. I mentioned just a little bit ago the Synod of Dort, where the international delegates from the international reformed churches all convened in the Netherlands to address a debate. And that was actually where the uh, five points of Calvinism are now derived from. However, it's important to note that when they gathered together to engage with these, some debated doctrines, that the Reformed churches had already existed for nearly, as a distinct thing, for about 75 years. And they had already been existing as um, Reformed Catholics for 100 years. And so it well, the, the, the Ch- Reformed church well um, uh, preexisted the formulation of what are called then the canons of Dort. And again, these canons are not the boom, boom kind, they're shot from pirate ships, but rather these canons are rules of faith. And so what the international um, delegates at that synod were doing, they're engaging with the errors of someone called Jacob Arminius and his followers who had themselves come up with five points. And so then the synod, was responding to those five points with their own rebuttal of five points of the Arminians or the remonstrance as it can also be called. But the the important thing to know here is that what they were doing was they were engaging from their already existing reformed tradition and answering the errors with five points rather than summarizing the entire totality of reformed Christianity with five points. And that needs to be said, because mm-hmm. if you ever went back to them, got in your DeLorean and went back to the 1618, 1619 and said, oh, this is all there is to reform theology. They would have looked at you like you're crazy. They would have said, no, we just came up with this. We, you know, we just uh, articulated this in five points. Furthermore, it's much more, uh, there's much more depth to it than the bumper sticker that goes by the name of Tulip. If you read the Canons of Dort, actually it's actually going to take you some time. Because right. you need to read some deep reflection in theology mm-hmm. and you have to recognize that there's a huge covenant theology that's embedded there undergirding this um, this view of of God's grace. And as you read these things, you also realize that they weren't really doing a whole lot that was unique to a distinct tradition, that what they were doing instead of was just Augustinian Christianity and that they weren't... Um, uh, creating a tradition out of nothing or something that was, that was brand spanking new, but they're recovering the teaching of St. Augustine and defending that teaching of St. Augustine over against the um, Armenians who uh, were calling it into question. Right. So yeah, what are some of your other thoughts on this, Brandon?
0: Yeah, I think that it. I mean, it also needs to be said too. Like the re- you mentioned in the beginning, the Reformed were developing creeds, they were developing ca- or confessions of faith, catechisms. And, I mean, this predates the Synod of Doors, and mm-hmm. so there was the Belgian Confession, there was the Heidelberg Catechism, and so, you know, if you asked somebody to summarize the Reformed faith, they might hand you the Belgian Confession, mm-hmm. the Heidelberg Catechism. Um, you know, as Calvin is writing, for example, the Institutes of the Christian Religion, I mean, he, that is Reformed theology, yeah, that's right. and it's, it's, it's this whole piece, right? It, it involves worship, it involves... Uh, the sacraments, it involves uh, a whole host of things. And Jacobus Harmanzun, who became Jacob Arminius, um, he had five problems. So basically looking at the totality of the Reformed tradition and what Calvin was writing, what the uh, the Confessions and the Catechisms were outlining, as he's looking at the totality of it, he, he kind of outlined five pieces that he didn't like. And that's where you know, they came up with the the five points of the remonstrance. and so the the Synod of Dort is responding to their five points, and and they're they're, they're answering their objections. Uh, like you said, they're not trying to give this totality view of you know this is the totality of of reformed theology uh but they were again just responding to specific attacks but specific uh, points of problem that uh Jacobus uh Arminius and his followers were trying to uh bring forth and uh but again the the reformed faith uh is much more uh broad than that uh you know it involves for example infant baptism It involved the regulative and the dialogical principle of worship. It involved um, um, a whole way of reading the Bible, even. Um, So anything else you want to comment on that? Just to
1: reiterate your point about including the sacraments, that it was the debate about the Lord's Supper the Eucharist that gave rise to the Reformed tradition as a distinct tradition. And so that is at the very heart of what it means to be Reformed is to have a particular view of how Christ is present at the uh, Lord's Supper. That the Holy Spirit makes him present, and that we feast upon his body and blood by the Spirit through faith, not by him being in, around, and under the bread, as the those who were following Martin Luther um, articulated. And so that was really the, the impetus, the catalyst, to create a distinction within uh, Protestant Christianity and so then to say that the sacraments aren't a part of the Reformed tradition or they're on the sidelines of it is completely, I mean, it's, it's ignorant of the historical context that gave birth and gave rise to, to Reformed Christianity.
0: So it is interesting today how people kind of piecemeal things. You know, mm-hmm. they might say, "Well, I, I, my church is Reformed, but they reject Reformed sacramentology. Mm-hmm. They reject Reformed worship. They uh, might reject a Reformed way of reading uh, the Bible, for example." Um, so it is interesting how people kind of piecemeal things mm-hmm. and want to adopt some things, but really, a lot, a lot of these pieces fit fit together. And you know, it's hard to adopt this, you know, five points of Calvinism outside of a covenantal context that is so, in, you know, so um, vital to the to the canons of Dort, but to somehow try to develop the five points in a completely different covenantal or dispensational structure and say, well, I'm, I'm Reformed too. I think, you know, we're going to have some internal inconsistencies of theology at that point.
1: Yeah, absolutely agreed. I think this really does come, it does matter. I think that one place where I've seen this manifest itself, and just to speak a little bit autobiographically, uh, before I went to seminary, I was engaging with and coming across the the breadth and the, the richness, the depth of the Reformed tradition. And this was at the same time that uh, Mark Driscoll was kind of in his heyday. And I'm sure that many of our uh, listeners, viewers uh, have heard and maybe listened to the rise and fall of Mars Hill that recent podcast uh, series but uh, he was utilizing that term that label reforms and at that time when I was engaged I knew that he wasn't properly situated within the reform tradition I remember very much having uh, debates with people who were you could call them Mark Driscoll fanboys at the time and they were then attaching reforms to everything that Mark Driscoll said when he wasn't one operating within a reformed ecclesiastical context, two, he wasn't operating within a reformed uh, confessional, creedal, catechetical context, three, he was not uh, trained and he wasn't examined by any kind of reformed body and ordained by that body. He had no ecumenical connections with anybody who's in the reformed world. He didn't even agree with all the five points of Calvinism, yet he still even used the word reform there. And so at that point, the word reform doesn't even mean five points. It meant like four and a half points or something like that. It just became a a, a term that was used for marketing purposes because reform became popular to use and to say. And I, I was very distressed at the time because I was realizing that reform meant a whole lot more than what he was saying And uh, it actually meant many things that he was denying. And now, as we've seen with that Rise and Fall of Mars Hill podcast, that through the damage done by Mark Driscoll, that the Reformed Church and the Reformed tradition has uh, has a real black mark on it, and it was never warranted from the first place. When we have enough sinners in the Reformed Church, and so we can—we we have enough sin to go around. We don't need somebody else's sin, who's outside the Reformed Church, to then be credited to us. I mean, we're we're all great sinners. But if you start having every church tradition that's not actually Reformed, all of a sudden, given hey, here's our problems, you take those too. Well, I don't really want those. Thank you very much. But I think that's one place where it really matters. The critiques have been leveled against him and his. "Quote unquote" version of Reformed Christianity just haven't added up, and it's just not faithful to the reality that it is. So, yeah. In other ways, you think it might matter, Brandon?
0: I mean, to kind of just maybe reiterate one of the points that I was making about how you, when you are, have a piecemeal thing and you say, "Well, I'm going to take." worship from a mega church and then i'm going to take you know a kind of the uh, the doctrine of salvation from the reformed church and i'm going to take a covenantal structure from the from the uh dispensationalists, and then i'm going to and you of like piecemealing together um this kind of like it, it's like different uh pieces of cloth kind of sewn together on this quilt you, you just run i think uh you you run into a lot of internal contradictions uh where things just really don't fit together and, um, and and then, but again like when you when when you read calvin's institutes when you read the belgian confession or the westminster confession when you um read like your hardest is reform dogmatics it is a whole host of things that's way bigger than a mere five points I mean they're getting into doctrine of God and the two natures of Christ and end times and worship and a whole host of things and um, to kind of boil the term reform down to a mere five points is just historically inaccurate it'll lead to contradiction and like you said everybody's gonna wear this label that's not even reformed to begin with I mean, I, I might even uh, kind of bring our time to a bit of a close by
1: maybe being a little bit provocative. I don't know if it's not been so so thus far, but I would challenge anybody out there who wants to use the moniker Reformed Baptist to reconsider uh, doing that uh, today, maybe stop uh, doing that. I think that, um, as I hope that we've kind of demonstrated here, it really isn't it really isn't very honest. I don't think it's very informed. And so I think that you might want to reconsider, um, that, that label, uh, there is a term that's used for Baptists who believe in five points of Calvinism that they're often called particular Baptists. I think that that could be a label that you might uh, prefer uh, to use. I think that, um, one of the things here is that just to maybe illustrate my point, is that if I started going around and calling myself a, a Baptist, and maybe even I called myself a Reformed Baptist and started advertising myself as a Reformed Baptist, and as people came to our church and they started to engage with us, and oh yeah, I'm a Reformed Baptist. And what Reformed Baptists teach is to baptize your babies. And then you, you look at me and say, Wait, what do you mean? The Baptist means something about who's the people. Well, I'm, I'm, I believe in baptism too. And I think that Baptist, Baptist means to baptize babies. And I'd say, well, you know, terms can be flexible. And I, I choose to use the term how I want to use the term. And so I'm going to use Reformed Baptist in this way. And then we're going to baptize babies and we're going to call ourselves Reformed Baptists. Well, you might look at that and say, well, that seems a bit odd. It seems like you're just kind of using the term Baptist because it's convenient to use. And you're kind of redefining the whole thing. I'd say, exactly. And I'm not a Baptist, even though I believe in baptism. Because I'm not a Baptist in the way the Baptist has been historically used. And I'd say that's the same thing that's happening when that word reformed is then attached to a church is that it has a historical connotation, has a historical confessional and creedal context, has a historical sacramentology that's attached to it. And to use it as a reformed Baptist or something does not make sense, it's an oxymoron. So I'd really encourage you to to reconsider that. And to recognize that the Belgian Confession has 37 points to it, 37 articles. And so if you want to be a Calvinist, be, be a 37-point Reformed Calvinist. Or to go to the Heidelberg Catechism, be a 52-Lord's Day uh, Reformed uh, Christian instead. But uh, we don't know anything about being a 5-point Calvinist or 5-point Reformed. It's much bigger than that. It's much broader than that. And to echo what Brand said earlier and utilize one of my um, professors, Michael Horton, he speaks about how if you believe in tulip, but you don't believe in the, in the whole summary of Reformed uh, confessions and catechisms, then what you've done is you've, you've picked the tulip, you've plucked the tulip out of the covenantal soil uh, from which it grew. And so I would encourage you to go back to that covenantal soil, see where that bulb of the tulip has, um, uh, been given its life and has given its nourishment and its nutrition, why it pops up each and every year and engage with the rest of Reformed Christianity, I think you'd find that to be, a, a blessed experience. And that would be, um, a gift to, uh, to yourself. When you pick up a flower out of the soil, it does. Exactly right, Brandon. Exactly. <laughs> well, we hope that's uh, been, uh, helpful for you. I hope it's not been too, um, Uh, provocative or too uh, um, uh, polemical but we hope that it's been thought provoking we hope it's an encouragement for you to think about these things and uh, we are the Cincy Reformed podcast thanks for taking some time to join us this week Uh, again cincyreformed.org check out our other episodes and check out our church on the west side of Cincinnati westsidereformed.org you can visit us at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings thanks so much bye bye